grab hold of a Bible. That would be really good. And if you turn back to page 1012, I think it was in Mark 8. Well, there are certain ailments, uh, physical ailments, we, we commonly pick up. Colds, headaches, life-threatening to men, water off a duck's back to women. And the Bible seems to say as well there are spiritual diseases that are pretty common to us all too. Uh, if you've just uh, come maybe this evening uh, for the first time, we're going through a series on spiritual diseases. The Bible says there are certain spiritual diseases common to us all too. Jesus actually even gives a hint of it uh, earlier in Mark's Gospel. In chapter 2, uh, he's picked up some criticism um, about the kind of people he's speaking to. The logic of his critics uh, is something like this, that the morally questionable are not the kind of people you should be speaking to God about. You don't talk to those kind of people. And Jesus' response is intriguing, uh, because he says in chapter 2 and verse 17, you, you can look it up later if you want, he says this, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Uh, and then if you were confused what he was getting at, he qualifies what he means by saying, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And immediately you see his point. If it's sinners that need a doctor, he must be talking about spiritual illness, and he's saying he's the doctor. Now, Jesus is the doctor. It's funny because if you read Mark with the intention of examining Jesus, and let me encourage you, that would be a good place to start if you're here and you're not a Christian yet. And even if you are a Christian wanting to get to know him better, it would be a wonderful place to spend more and more time Uh, But if you read Mark with the intention of examining Jesus, what we'll find if we're reading it properly is that Jesus is examining you and me. And Mark's a little bit like the GP receptionist, uh, saying at the start of his book, well, the doctor will see you now. And you don't need to be great at diagnosis when we get to our reading from chapter 8 to figure out the condition we're looking at here. It is blindness, spiritual blindness. Well, there was a blind man right at the beginning of the story. That was the kind of clue to it. I know what you're thinking. If I just read uh, this story, if I just read this through, I'd be thinking, well, isn't this just physical blindness? Because that's what's presented, isn't it? Well, well, that's there, obviously, but I, I think we'll see there's more to it than just that. And three things we just want to consider this evening, the time we've got... Uh, together. Uh, do we have a problem with our sight? That's the first thing. Uh, why would that be dangerous to have a problem with our spiritual sight? And how can it be good? Is there a problem? Why is it dangerous? How can it be good? Uh, so here's the first thing. If you've got your, your service sheet, there, there's an outline for the top and the back if that's helpful. Uh, follow uh, along with that. But here's the, the first kind of heading to think about. God's plan for real life, was revealed for all to see. See, if you were to go back, or we were to go back, right to the beginning of Mark's book, uh, there's this idea about seeing things. You'd see it right there from the start, this this whole idea about seeing things. Mark starts his book by telling us that it's uh, all about Jesus. It is the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then in the very next verse, he quotes, among other things, part of Isaiah 40. Uh, It was our first reading. Uh, And if you've got a Bible open, uh, just turn back to it with me. It's on page 723 in your pew Bibles. And while you're doing that, uh, let me just say, we've had a fair share of summer blockbusters this year. Uh, I don't know if you've been out to the cinema much. Filmmakers 
are not daft, are they? If you're remotely interested in films, uh, they know how to get your attention. Uh, the previews uh, do their work, don't they? Two minutes of thrill, spills, bulging biceps and pouting lips. And all of it narrated by one of those incredible, gravelly voice-over actors. They're wonderful, aren't they? This year, evil will pass from their world into our own. That, that's why I'm not a voice-over actor. <laughs> that's Harry Potter for you. That's what comes over the preview for that. And it's all designed to get you to say, I must see that. I don't know about you, but I feel I use that word must too much, far too much, I think. I must see that. Uh, but I, say, I have to say, the previews worked on me with willing accomplices. I've indulged my love of cinema over the last couple of months. The previews set up the films, and I made sure I saw them. And now paper uh, rustling stopped, so I'm sure you're back in Isaiah 40. So just have a look at it with me now, because I want to suggest that what we find here is in some way God giving us a preview. So this is the preview of his great plan. And verses 1 and 2 set the tone for what God is going to do for people. And you see there, it's just in front of you, comfort them. I comfort, comfort my people. Tell them their, their hard service is over. There's going to be freedom. Sins have been forgiven. And you get the idea as you read it and, and just think about it that God's great plan is to bring an end to all the problems in life caused by human sin. And not just by getting rid of people. And not just by wiping them out, but by offering them forgiveness and freedom. And in verse 3, the voiceover begins. Well, it wouldn't be a good preview, would it, without a voiceover? And this voice tells us how these plans are going to come about. You read through these verses and we're told the Lord himself will come. And then using a bit of poetry, the, the voice describes that coming. Obstacles will be removed. I guess it must mean, along with other things, it must mean remove everything that could stop him forgiving people. Stop him giving lives of freedom and comfort. And do you see verse 5? You see what we're told, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. They'll see it. See, when God does this, it isn't going to be £6 for a ticket and another £10 for popcorn and a drink. Not only does this preview make God's plan sound fantastic, forgiveness and freedom. It's saying it's free for all to see. This really is a must-see because this is God's plan for real life. And, and Mark starts his book replaying that preview. Turn, turn back over to Mark now. We're going to stay there. Mark starts his book by replaying that preview. He just wants to get that excitement going again. He just wants to awaken those feelings of, I really must see this. I must see it. Because the rest of his book is all about God's plan for real life. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So here's the Lord who has come to provide forgiveness and freedom, comfort, and a way out of sin and the judgment it deserves offered to anyone who will take it. And if we were to read through Mark, we'd encounter all the thrills and spills unfolding as the preview promised us. And when Jesus speaks in Mark's gospel, his words stop people in their tracks. 
He, he touches lepers and heals them. Sick people are cured. Sins are forgiven. He speaks to the wind and the waves and the wind stops blowing in and the sea, like a, a puppy that's been told off, just lies down immediately. See, no matter what situation you're in, he seems able to set you free. So Mark starts to show us Jesus, the Lord who is the ultimate must-see. See, but that's the odd thing as you read through Mark. Because what he seems to do again and again is to tell us that, that people, and even those closest to him, just don't see Jesus. And they don't see him. So in Mark 4, again, don't, don't look at it now, his disciples ask, who is this speaking about Jesus? They don't see him. In Mark 7, in verse 18, frustrated with his disciples, Jesus says to them, don't you see? In Mark 8, in verse 17 and 18, again to his disciples, he says, do you still not see or understand? Do you have eyes but fail to see? And reading through it, by the time we get to Mark 8, we should all be thinking, is no one going to see who he is or what he's doing? And if you've got that in mind, I think you read verses 22 to 26 differently. Because confronted by a physically blind man, we should find ourselves thinking, well, if we ever needed a living visual aid for what everyone is like with Jesus, this is it. And if you hear yourself thinking that, well, you've got Mark's point. See, if it seems stupid as you read through Mark that Jesus is there doing all the things you're seeing him doing and no one seems to recognize him, if you, if you feel frustrated that they just don't see him, well, you've got Mark's point. And now listen to this. Because Mark is a very clever writer. And he's skillful at handling people and readers. He, he knows if he were just to say to us, do you know you suffer from spiritual blindness too? We'd tell him he was talking daft. But he's drawn us in, looking at other people. Because he's wanting to persuade you. This is what all people are like with Jesus. Uh, this is what everyone's like with him. Uh, this is what you're like with the must-see event of history. Now, let me tell you a daft story about a friend of mine called Scott. I was once at the cinema with him. Uh, he loved going, went even more than me, I think. Uh, the, the cinema was kind of like his, his second home. I was, I was with him once and, and asked him where the toilets were. And he, he said rather smugly, well, you obviously don't know your way around this place like I do. And proceeded to walk through the door of a toilet I'd failed to see. I was a little confused uh, and waited to see what would happen. Some ten seconds later, the door opened quickly and my embarrassed friend exited from a rather busy ladies' toilet. <laughs> so I tell you that because there are some um, sight problems that are obvious. Now, you know you've got a problem. Uh, and you, you work with that. But there are some even more troubling uh, where you think you're seeing everything clearly but you're not. So my friend Scott had a minor case of that, but Mark's saying spiritual blindness is an, even more, is an even more serious case. Where one of its symptoms is that you can live life not knowing you've got it. So the only way to spot it is to see what happens when you honestly interact with Jesus. Because he's really the one this disease makes you blind to. So if you're here and you're, 
uh, you're not a Christian yet, you're just beginning to consider Jesus, it'd be worth thinking about that. Maybe you've been confused about Jesus. You, you just don't get him. You think, well, Christians go on about him a lot, but I don't see what's so special. It'd, it'd be worth thinking, wouldn't it? Is Mark right? Could I possibly have a problem with my spiritual sight? And that's why I don't get it. It'd be worth thinking, wouldn't it? Could your eyesight be damaged? And even if you are a Christian, at the very least, we should be giving ourselves a bit of a checkup. Now, we should be thinking together, couldn't we? shouldn't we? Uh, is our eyesight as healthy as we imagine? See, Mark's telling us God's plans have been revealed for everyone to see and respond to. Uh, and he'll tell us as we read on, if our eyes are good, then when we see it, it will radically transform how you see yourself. See, it will radically transform how you see other people. And it will radically transform how you live your life. See, in fact, Mark seems to think the change it brings will look so dramatic to other people that to some people it will look as if you're giving up your life completely. But you'll discover you've actually found real life for the first time. It will look to some as if you're, you're giving up life, throwing it away. And yet Mark will tell us, what you'll find is you've found it for the first time. If that's not your experience, Mark's saying you, you may have sight problems. And to some degree, we all, we're all troubled by spiritual blindness. Oh, here's the second thing. And it's this, seeing God's plan only a little isn't really much good. I've seen God's plan only a little isn't much good so why would I have to say that? I don't know if you, you notice some of the details in this story. It is a bit of an odd one, isn't it? When you come to this healing miracle, verse 24, Jesus puts his hand on this blind man and he seems to get, we have to say, partially healed. He sees some things, but not very clearly. And then in verse 25, Jesus puts his hands on him once more and then he sees everything clearly. Uh, some people have said and written uh, some odd things uh, about this. Uh, I've read some people have said, well, it's good to know that even Jesus had off days. That seems an embarrassingly daft idea when you read through Mark. If you're going to believe Mark's account, and I see very little, little reason to doubt it, then uh, this Jesus was able to subdue a violent man with a word, heal lepers, quench fevers, heal whole towns of sick people, feed 5,000 plus women and children, and raise a little girl from the dead. He doesn't have off days. Now, I think it's much more likely that it's a deliberate action designed to point towards something we need to know about spiritual blindness. And that would be in keeping with what Mark's telling us. So the question is, why? Why these two levels of sight? One where he begins to see, but Jesus won't leave it there. Did you notice when we read it, what happens in the next part of the story? In verse 27, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he, he asks them who people think he is. Oh, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others one of the prophets. Then what about you, he asks. Now, who do you say I am? And it's Peter who gets in with the answer in verse 29. You are the Christ. It's a huge moment in Mark's Gospel. Because Peter's the first person to see Jesus. 
He's the first person to to see him. It's a jaw-dropping moment. At last, someone who's passed the blindness. Someone's through it. But what about these two stages? You just keep your eyes on Peter for a moment and look at verse 31. And because Jesus starts to talk again, starts to teach his disciples about what he's going to do. Actually, he's teaching them, did you notice it, what he must do. And he's not using that word lightly. And because he's saying he must be killed and rise again. And if you can for a moment cast your mind back to that preview from Isaiah where it talked about mountains being brought low and valleys raised up as the Lord comes to reveal his glory in forgiving people and setting them free. You start to wonder if this is part of what he means by it. See, when God comes to forgive and rescue people, he'll do it by dying in the place of sinful people. By taking the punishment you and I deserve so that he can freely forgive. And without ignoring the need for justice, it is the must-do for God's plan in Jesus. And so that makes it the must-see for anyone who really wants to see Jesus properly. And you see the details Mark gives us in verse 32. He tells us Jesus spoke plainly about this. Or if you want to put it another way, he was really clear. He was making it as visible as possible. And Peter's response, verse 32, that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And you see what Mark's done again. See, Peter has seen Jesus He's seen who Jesus is, but only partially. He hasn't seen it clearly at all, and it shows you how debilitating this blindness is. You can even sort of see Jesus. You could convince yourself that you know him, but when it comes down to it, you're not really seeing anything clearly at all. Jesus turns Peter's rebuke back on himself. As you listen to their interaction, we, we get a kind of insight into this spiritual disease. See, we don't generally rebuke people who've got an illness, do we? People who've contracted swine flu aren't being told off and lectured. So if Jesus is rebuking Peter, well then we'd have to infer, here's a spiritual disease that in some sense you're responsible for. See, if you've got it, it's your fault. And you have a look at what's going on with Peter and you you see a couple of things. Uh, Jesus, who he has just acknowledged as the Christ, acknowledged that he's God's king, has just told him something clearly. And Peter has said, no. You see what Mark's telling us? This isn't a blindness that's primarily can't see. I know this is a blindness that's primarily won't see. It's a blindness caused by wanting to have your own way and and say no to God. And Jesus says when you act like that, you're thinking the same way as God's enemy. So when Jesus rebukes Peter, he can say to him, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Or, Or in other words, out of my sight. You're thinking like God's enemy. See, spiritual blindness is caused when we start to say no to what God wants. And if you want to see how serious that is, you you just have to listen to Jesus' words in verse 36 when he says this, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world 
and yet forfeit his soul. That's the seriousness Jesus is thinking about. Here's a disease and a half that its long-term effect is that in a defiant refusal to do what God says, you'd be willing to throw your entire life away. A saying no to the saving God and you set your soul on a course for judgment and hell. Now can I say, even for the Christian, have you begun to notice your eyesight deteriorate? God says you should forgive people, not harbour grudges, but instead of doing that, you, you justify yourself by saying, well, they've treated me worse. I'm not going to forgive them. And God says it's by grace that you've been saved. So no boasting, just loving concern for others and a, a humility that loves it when others do well. But as you look at others' blessings, a secret envy is starting to fill your sight. So I have to say I see plenty of selfish attitudes and actions in my own life that should make me think I'm not seeing as clearly as I should. So what about you? Are there some issues that come to mind? Perhaps issues where you've been convinced you are seeing really clearly, you know exactly what the other person has done wrong, but even now you're wondering, are my eyes out of focus? Am I not seeing clearly at all? And if that's you, then come to the third thing for tonight, and that's this. Ask Jesus to let you see real life. Ask him to let you see real life. I, I love detective stories. At Columbo, Morse, Poirot. There's a Poirot on TV tonight. I tried to get the video to work. It wouldn't work, so if anyone else tapes it, you can let me have it. But I, I love all those kind of detective stories, probably because I think I can work them out, and it makes me feel good. They're not, they're not that difficult, are they? But you know how it is with them? You follow the clues. You follow the clues that lead you to who's done it. And Mark, in parts, is like a detective story. He, he's given us a little who done it. He's not just given us the answer directly. Good writers never do it like that, do they? Good writers never just tell you straight away what it is. They, they want to draw you in with the way they tell their story. And until you see the answer, was always there right in front of you. See, Mark's been talking to us about blindness, telling us everyone is spiritually blind. No one sees Jesus, which has got to raise at least one more question for us. How did Peter do it? You don't think that? How did Peter do it? How did Peter see that Jesus was the Christ? So even if he only did it in part, even if he only saw in part, how, how did he do it? Did he work it out? Did he cure himself? Well, play the detective. Follow the clues. Uh, when it comes to curing blindness, who's the chief suspect? There's only one person, isn't there? There's only one person who seems to be able to cure blindness. Uh, uh, Jesus is the only one uh, who's able to cure that. And, and just like the physically blind man, he must have begun to open Peter's eyes. And that gives us confidence, doesn't it, that one day he will open Peter's eyes fully. And he's the only one who can make you and I see. So that we'll be able to find real life. See, we always like to think, don't we, if we've got a problem, we can fix it ourselves. They're not this one. Now, you can't fix this. That's what Mark's wanting to show is Jesus is the only one who can open spiritually blind eyes. And Mark wants to show us, per persuade us, of this problem, this disease that we can get, so we'll humbly go to the one who can help us. 
How do you know if he's done that for you? So how do you know if your eyes are good? Well, like physical uh, blindness, we, we want to do a bit of an eye test, don't we? It's on your hand out there. Two, two questions for, for a bit of a, an eye test when it comes to spiritual blindness. Can you see that the cross is totally necessary? Now, that's what Jesus was saying in verse 31. Uh, when you started to see that, uh, that he must die, started to see that in order to forgive you and give you new life, God had to come in Jesus and die for you, uh, you can feel that Jesus might have begun to deal with spiritual blindness in your life. And that in turn will affect the way you look at everything. So if you're someone who's quick to spot others' faults but doesn't really seem as much, doesn't really see as much your own need for change, your eyes are in pretty bad shape. But if when we're together as a church family and we pray the confession as we often do at church, you are aware of how appropriate those words are for you, just you, and not your boss, and not your employee, not your husband or your wife, not the person sitting beside you, just you, you. Well, there's an indication Jesus is opening your eyes. And the second test is, can you see that your life must be totally his? Can you see your life must totally belong to him? And be lived for him. And that's what Jesus says in verse 34. He, he calls the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Look, for some disciples that meant a literal cross. Uh, but don't let that confuse you. Most of us won't have to face anything like that. But let me try and explain what Jesus means. He's saying something like this, that if you're really going to follow him and find life, if you really are following him and finding life, it, it's going to take looking at life a whole new way. And when you look at life this new way, it'll feel like you were blind before. See, what you've got to see is that real life is found in dying to self and following Jesus. And you've got to see that. I can imagine some people would think, well, it's just what we've always thought about Christianity. Uh, Christianity is all about denying freedom. It stops you being an individual and enjoying life. It's all about denying yourself anything good. Can I say anyone who thinks that is saying just about the stupidest thing possible? And they have thought very little about the link between freedom and fulfillment. See, everyone knows that if you want to be really free, you need to deny yourself certain things. Everyone who thinks about that even for a moment knows that. So the, the teenage girl who really wants to enjoy the freedom of a growing friendship with a boy who really likes her and she thinks she's falling for I just know she's got to deny herself the offers of other boys who ask her out. So we could say that, well, she's not really free then, is she? But it'd be daft to think like that. Or there were the guys from church here who cycled through Italy this summer. If next summer you wanted to join them, if you wanted to be free to join them, you know you need to deny yourself those extra hours in bed on Saturday mornings and get out on the road and start training. If you want to be free to enjoy the life of a cyclist, you need to deny yourself lazy hours in bed. And similarly with Jesus, he really does want you to be free to enjoy life. 
He wants you to be free to enjoy it, but there is no getting away from it. He is the one who made life. So you can't ever have it without trusting him. So if you want to be really free, if you want to live a life that is really free, you need to deny your desire to live independently of him. Even if that were to mean dying in this life to follow him. See, when you see that your life needs to be totally his, it'll be because Jesus has begun to restore your sight. And you start to live life free and forgiven. How does he do this work in you? Where do you get to test out if you're seeing the cross? Where do you spot if you're denying your independence? Again, Mark shows us it quite subtly, I think. It was there in verse 35, if you've got it in front of you. Jesus said this, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. And it's there again, tucked away in verse 38, for when Jesus says this, is, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. How are you responding to Jesus' words in the Gospel? So are you seeing them? Believing them? Denying your independence from God and living in light of them? Because if you are, the doctor has opened your eyes. But if you think you're not, then Mark's offer stands tonight. The doctor will see you now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, these words are, are chilling in many ways. The thought that we could see you and not really see you. That we could talk about following you and be blind and in a way walking away from you towards judgment and hell. There are serious things to think about and we ask, please would you open our blind eyes. And Lord, those of us who have got our eyes open already, we don't want to even take risks with it and we ask that you'd help us to keep checking that we're seeing you as you really are. And please would you help us with that. And be about the business of making you known to others as well. So that more and more blind eyes would be open to know you and find life. And we ask it in your name. Amen.